All right, we're in Colossians chapter three. We're flying through the book. We will be done before 2024, promise. Um, but uh, in Colossians three, what we looked at last week and really what the theme has been is, is this idea of here is who Jesus is. Do not settle for anything other than a deep and rich relationship with Jesus, this understanding of who he is and what he's called us to. Uh, chapter three, verse one through 11, what we went through last week was such a pivotal section of scripture because he's basically transitioning from uh, your identity in Christ to now your activity in Christ. So you're going to hear, as we talked about last week, more like action steps, like in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, here's now how you live and here's how you walk. And so there is a saying that's helpful. We talked about it a little bit last week, but this idea that your identity precedes activity, that it's easy for us sometimes to say, hey, as a Christian, do, 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 like do this, live this way. But in reality, it's here's who Jesus is. Here's what he says you are. Here's your identity in Christ. Here's what God has done for you on your behalf. And now in light of that, walk worthy of the calling to which you are called. So it's like in light of everything has, Jesus has done for you, here's how you live. And so it, hopefully it changes the motivation and wanting like I want to obey versus like I have to obey. It changes hopefully a lot of different dynamics. But this, ide this idea of your identity precedes activity. So that's chapter three, verse one through four. We kind of looked at like when Christ who is your life, your life is hidden with Christ. And then he says to put off all of these things. He names some things to put off. He says, you know, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now this week, next week, the week after, he's gonna be talking about here's how you walk. Like here's what you do. Like literally, so when we get to um, husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husband, we get to like the verses that are like do this. We can't forget it's in light of everything Jesus is and has done for us. So we get to the, we call this like the imperatives, almost like those commands, do this. It's based off the indicative statements of here's who you are in Christ. And this has been so helpful for me because if you try to do step two without step one, if you try to do without realizing the work is done, you're going to miss it. The work, it is finished. It's done in Christ. And now we walk that out. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's already worked within us, as Paul says in Philippians 2. Work out what he worked in. You guys track with me? So a lot of Paul's letters kind of work this way. Ephesians works this way. Uh, Galatians in many ways. Uh, Colossians, obviously. It's kind of like, here's who Christ is. Here's now how you walk and live. You guys with me? And so uh, we, he kind of gave this analogy last week, or we kind of started looking at the verses last week. But he kind of describes our walk with Christ like putting off clothes and putting on new clothes. He's like, put off these things and put on these things. So we kind of looked at the put off. Now we're going to look at the put on, and uh, we'll hopefully clarify that. So uh, I had the title today, um, A New Drip, but um, I was told not to do that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we put a title, Clothed in Love. I feel like that's more okay. Um, <laughs> but why don't we do this? We're not, it's nothing crazy. Three verses. Can you believe we're going to look at three whole verses today? And, um, you know, my, my, my point in some of this, too, and for us, it's, you know, not to be in a rush. It's to, um, Lord, do this. Like, do this within us. I want to read these scriptures, like, even for my own life. Like, Lord, I can read this. I can maybe even try to memorize this. But it doesn't mean I live this. It doesn't mean I walk in this. It doesn't mean I experience this. And so part of my, our heart posture, I hope, today and just every Sunday is like, all right, Lord, as we read this, like, massage it into our lives. Like, get it deep into our hearts. 
um, let it flow like out of our life because of by your grace and by your spirit. So my hope for you and for all of us is like, I have an open hands, I have an open heart. Like, Lord, what is it you want to do? Um, so let's read. It's uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. That is our text. He says, put on then. Everyone say, put on then. Put on then. <laughs> we'll go back, don't worry. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I do want to pray, but I want to acknowledge this is one of those texts where it's like easier said than done. Put on kindness, humility, put on love. It's one of those like, all right, like how? And Lord, like I get you tell me to do this. Can you help me in this? I guess what I want to do is I want to just pray and just say, Lord, I want to invite, I want to invite you to do this in me. Um, I cannot and we cannot put on these things in our own strength. But I do think there's a, a saying, my heart is open, Lord, for you to you clothe me. You put these things in me and on me. So I just bow your head, close your eyes for a second. Say, Lord, what we just read, would you do in me? Just that, just a simple prayer. What we just read, would you do in me? Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask that you would do this, Lord. Um, I know that sometimes I read this put on love. Put on these attributes that um, many times are far from me. Many times I'm just, I, I still have the old ways. I have the old quick reaction, the quick response, the out of frustration, I'm tired, all those things, Lord. Lord, I ask that we would not make excuses for those things anymore. We'd not justify, but we just say, Lord, we are weak. We are weak, and you are strong. And would you put these on us? Would you clothe us? God, I ask that you would do something in our hearts. Lord, there's unforgiveness in this room today. Lord, if there's just, um, just hatred towards a person or people, Jesus, I ask that you would help us by your spirit put on love. Um, let us be known for our love. Let us be known for our forgiveness. <laughs> let us be known for being like you, Jesus. And so we ask that the church would stand out in this way. It's very easy to get caught up and all the hype around any topic and every topic. And we ask Jesus that we would be a calming, loving presence that Lord is quick to forgive and quick to call out, quick to also lead people to repentance. Um, Jesus, we just need you. So we, th we thank you. We ask that you would do this in us in your precious name. Amen. Um, you know, there's something about getting a new outfit, right? Feels good. I remember as a kid on Christmas, uh, the worst thing you'd get me is clothes, right? That's, that's the absolute worst. And like, I remember as a kid, you like open up a Christmas gift and it's like clothes, and you're like, you don't love me? Like, why don't you love me? It's just like the worst thing. Uh, and now in my mind, my wife gets me clothes. Part of me is like, awesome, like two birds, one stone. I need this anyways. It's a Christmas gift. You know, like in my mind, it's so bad, I know, but it's like budget. I'm like, awesome. I need this anyways. Oh, okay, very cool. And it's just different. You know, my, my daughter, obviously, I've mentioned this before, but she's four and she's at the phase where she's constantly. There's a, there's a change of clothes every two hours minimum. She's put it off and put it on, put it off and put it on. 
And whenever she put, it's usually like some <laughs> princess outfit. Like on Halloween, we we're like, you know, I saw her in her like princess outfit, and I was like, this is just a normal day. She's, you always wear you know, a princess outfit. But it's just funny, like she's constant, and then she becomes that character. She, she becomes Princess Peach, or she becomes whatever it is she's wearing. And it's funny how that clothing, in a sense, it, it really does wrap up in her identity. And like, I am this now. And same thing with my son. It just, all of us kind of are, are predis- predispositioned to this. I remember being like uh, 11, 12, 13 years old, really getting into basketball. The thing that made, I felt like I had superpowers because I would put this armband on. I won this armband in like a three-point contest. I was so proud of this armband. And it was just absolutely disgusting. I mean, it's so filthy. And probably for like years, never washed it. Just gross. You know, 12-year-old little boy. But I had this armband, and I put it on my arm, and I became Michael Jordan in my mind. Like, Michael Jordan had an armband. I have an armband. And it's funny how that thing honestly made me mentally be like, you can't guard me. I have an armband. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's just little things that made you kind of, I don't know, live into that and feel that way. And it's just fascinating. You know, in Florida, when you think about clothing, it is so different because, you know, we don't have seasonal clothing. There's usually like a, a clothing or attire for like everything. And that's a cool thought too. Like doing a wedding yesterday and like I have my suit and people are like, hey, that's your same suit for everything. I'm like, I know, leave me alone. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> don't bring that up anymore. Um, but it's fun to like put it on and feel a certain way at that point in time. But you know, with us in Florida, it's like it's November and I'm still really sweaty today. It's just weird. And we don't have like winter clothing and spring clothing. And summer. It's like always summer clothing. And there's something though about seasonal clothing and there's something about a framework of mind like, oh, I'm in a new season now of life with this clothing. Just clothing kind of communicates, even though we don't have it here, clothing communicates massive change at times or like this, I, like I'm wearing something nice. I want to look nice. I want to feel nice. There's something about clothing that does something to us. And it's a beautiful illustration of baptism in the Bible. It's like they, they would take off their old clothes, get baptized, put on new clothes as like this symbolic, like, yes, I'm walking in newness of life. There's something about putting on something new that you just feel different. And it does something to like your soul. You kind of want to play into what it is you're wearing. You want to like lean into that a bit. And Paul is using this analogy to describe, like, put on Christ, essentially. Put on these characteristics. Put on these attributes. But what he's really saying is put on the Lord Jesus. And Paul actually uses this language in Romans and Ephesians, and we'll get to that. We'll look at that. But it's a beautiful language of, like, you, um, I read this amazing story of this pastor who adopted some kids out of, uh, of Ukraine years ago. Years ago, it's like 10 years ago, they adopted five kids out of Ukraine, and they didn't know the language, and they're trying to, like, you know, communicate with them. He said, the first thing we did as soon as we signed the papers of, our, of their adoption is after we, like, left the courthouse, my wife took the older, he said, my wife took the older kids, I took the younger kids, and we went shopping for new clothes. And the cool thing was, like, I, we bought them new clothes, and they had to leave all of their old stuff and old clothes at the orphanage, and they had these new clothes, and he's like, they walked different. They smiled different. For them, the new clothes meant a new family, a new identity. Everything was new. And it's so beautiful reading that he's like, this is the best illustration Paul can use. Like, we might just feel like new clothes. What is Paul? This is such a beautiful idea. Like, you've been adopted. You have some new clothes. You have this new identity. You have a new way in which you walk. And you might not even feel up to it yet. Your emotions might not match your new outfit, <laughs> your new drip. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to stay cool, guys. Um, but it might not even match that. But there's something about what that communicates and does. And I really do love what Paul's saying. He's like, put, put off and put on. Put on. Put these on. So what I want to look at today, and just we'll hopefully keep it simple, but like, there's two thoughts that I think are, I make sure I can't like miss on. Um, because he says this in verse 12, but before he tells them what to put on, and this, this just like honestly captivated me. Before he tells them what to put on, 
he appeals to their position in Christ. So he's like, put on as chosen ones, holy and beloved. And so what I want to do is like the two points are simply this, uh, positioned in Christ and putting on Christ. Positioned in Christ and putting on Christ. You guys with me? So let's just look at verse 12 again. I kind of already said it, but it's okay. Let's, let's look at it. Verse 12, he says then, put on then, dot, dot, dot. Before he can tell you what to put on, he's like, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So I love this about Paul and his writings. And Paul wrote in like lengthy sentences and it's sometimes it's difficult, but Paul's like, put on, before I even tell you what to put on, he's like, let me remind you of who you are as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved. Um, I want to put the three words up here. We have like a little slide. Um, the words don't matter that much, but it's, it's cool. It's eklektos, eklektos for chosen ones, like elected, eklektos, holy, hegeos, and beloved, agapeo. As elected, as holy and set apart, as just you're loved. It's almost like you're, you're set apart for a purpose. You're holy, you're sacred. The word holy is so beautiful, it's just sacred. There's certain things we view or deem sacred. He's like in, in society and he says, you're, you're that. You're sacred, you're set apart, you're holy. And you're just, you're the beloved, you're loved. Now, you might not feel like any of those things. <laughs> and that's part of the point of this is appealing to your position in Christ. You know, these are the same words we see often used of Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the holy one. He's the, this is my son in whom I love. He's the beloved. And he's really appealing to Jesus. He's, like, he's appealing to us through our position in Christ. And it's such a beautiful thing if you actually understand, like, um, in my Christianity at, at a young age, I really struggled with what I feel and what, I, what God said about me. And there's this weird battle and struggle and still happens in adulthood. It can happen in your life. You're like, but I don't feel like these things. And like, yes, you don't probably. And I do think that the Lord at times will like do something in you where you're like, wow, Lord, I don't just know this, but I'm starting to feel this. I'm starting to actually feel beloved. I'm feeling like called out and chosen for a purpose. I'm feeling like holy and set apart. It might not happen right away. But before Paul's like put these on, he's like, he's like you then put this on, but... In light of who you are in Christ, the reason why I think this is so phenomenal is um, Paul who wrote Colossians, Paul who, again, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, he called himself, Paul who knew Old Testament scripture, I bet more than anyone at his time, Paul uh, says this, I think in light of Deuteronomy 7, reminding the nation of Israel that God has chosen you and called you and set you apart, and, he, and you're the loved ones. And I love this verse, you probably know this, but it's a beautiful verse when God is speaking over the nation of Israel. God's like, here's why I chose you, Israel. It's Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. If you would like look up here, the screen's up here. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people, listen, for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people, the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were fewest of all peoples. But it is because, why did he choose you? It is because the Lord loves you. <laughs> I want to sit in this because this is amazing. God's like, hey, nation of Israel, I want you to see this. You are chosen. You are holy. Not because you're so special. Not because you're so great. Just because of love. Like, I'll ask my kids, I'm like, do you know why I love you? And they'll go, why? I'm like, because I love you. <laughs> Just your mind. It's not because you're good or bad or do these things. And the Lord's like, you want to know why I chose you? Why do I know why I love you? I love you because I love you. 
I've set my love on you because I love you. Not because of anything you've done, not because of what you accomplished, not because you're so great and mighty and you're the, you're the mightiest nation of all the nations. None of that. I just love you. And so what Paul does, and I, try, I think the words were bolded, maybe not, but Paul uses the same, or sorry, Deuteronomy uses the same words. You're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved. And you actually see this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11, these same ideas, chosen, holy, beloved. I think Paul is like really pulling on their heart from the very origin, from the very beginning and saying, do you not realize that you, church, hey, the church of Colossae, the church, that you are beloved, you are holy, you are set apart, you're chosen. Why? Because you're so great, because God loves you. God not choose the mighty things of this world, but the weak things to confound the wise. It's just like the heart of God is like, I just love you because I love you. And the reason why I, wanna, I just want to sit in this again, because before we get to now, therefore put on these things and do this and, you know, all this Christian lifestyle things that'll come in the next week or two, all those things come with it based off who you are in Christ. And you might not feel that way. And I just love, again, the idea of being clothed in these things. So I actually think that the Old Testament does a really good job of illustrating this. So I, I want to just remind you of this or write this down in your Bible next to this verse, Zechariah chapter 3. In Zechariah chapter 3, it's one of, I mean, I'd say Isaiah 6 and Zechariah 3, Leviticus 10. They're my three favorite stories. All right. Um, in Zechariah chapter 3 in the Old Testament, Zechariah has this vision. And, and he sees Joshua, who is the high priest, standing before the Lord. And it says, and the angel of the Lord. And Satan is there to accuse him. So you have the Lord, the angel of the Lord, which I believe is a Christophany. It's Christ in the Old Testament. And then you have Satan, who, it says, who's literally there to oppose him, or the word is accuse him. So you have the accuser of the brethren, you have God, you have Jesus. You have Joshua, the high priest, the one who represents all of Israel to God. And he's standing before God and we're told that he becomes, his garments become as filthy rags. Listen to this. Zechariah chapter three, verse one. Uh, we'll just read the context. I knew I just said it. He says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Verse one through two. Joshua, the high priest, Zechariah sees this, Satan, God, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, he has this vision. Look at verse 3, it says this then. Verse 3 says, now Joshua, Joshua, who is he again? The high priest. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him. So see the authority of the angel of the Lord. Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. The gospel in the Old Testament always blows me away. You have the high priest who's in the high priestly garments. I mean, if you like look at these, there's, you know, there's thread of gold. I mean, even today, like if you see, you can go and like see the, um, the kind of new high priestly garments in Israel. They kind of have like a, you know, another version of it. And it's, I mean, it's a, a very expensive outfit with the, with the 12 like jewels kind of on the front, gold intertwined. I mean, beautiful, elegant. Think about the high priest garments before God. And as he stands before the Lord, what is this high priestly garment and all of its beauty, all of its worth, all of its value? Filthiness. Just filthy garments. The holiest one he's supposed to be, right? The high priest. The, the one that goes into the holy of holies one day a year on the day of atonement. Like the guy that's supposed to be the holiest of all the people? Filthiness before God. Just imagine that scenario. Satan's there opposing him. See? Look at your filth. We're told that he's there to oppose him, to accuse him. You have no right being here. Whatever it is Satan was opposing him with or saying to him. Then the angel of the Lord is like, take off those filthy garments and put on new garments. And then what does he say? See, I have removed what? Your iniquity. 
I love this. This is the gospel, man. It's like we stand before God guilty. Absolutely. I, all of us stand before God guilty. And Satan is right. He could give all the accusations. He could oppose us and be absolutely right probably in everything he shares. I'm all those things you say and more. Absolutely. Clothed. I love all it says in Isaiah uh, 64, 6. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. I mean, you have the, you have the high priest. His righteousness, his robes, it's just polluted garments. So if Satan opposing him, belittling him, mocking him, and he goes, take off those garments and someone put new gar- clothe him in rich garments. Isaiah 61.10 says what? For God has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I love this. Take off those filthy robes and put on the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. You see, we are chosen, holy, beloved, because we've been robed in his righteousness. Positionally, that's not practically filthy sinners. <laughs> Positionally robed in his righteousness. You guys follow me on this, right? This is, this is life-changing when you realize, um, I love First John chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. He goes, if anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So you have Satan, who's Roman, uh, Revelation 12 is called the accuser of the brethren. It's literally this, pl- this scenario being played out. He's accusing, but you have Jesus going, no, no, take off those garments and put on new clean garments. And I just want to say, as we talk about this idea of like putting on Jesus, there's a sense where we have to realize, first of all, Jesus clothed us with his righteousness and his garments He's the one who says, take that off him and put on new, clean robes. See, I've removed your sin from you. So there's the idea of like, thank you, Jesus, that you have robed me. If it was just now you put on righteousness, that's, that's terrifying. But to know that we're robed in his righteousness, that's everything. So that's my position. But practically, there's still this idea of like, okay, now put on Christ. Now every day, like every day you wake up and you put on clothes, right? And just follow that analogy, like every day. Or maybe it gets dirty and scuffed up and disgusting. It smells terrible. And you put on new clothes. And it's just that idea of like, keep putting on Christ. So yes, you're robed in his righteousness, but put him on as well. So you guys follow me on that analogy? So we're already done with number one. Cool. He goes, here's who you are. You're holy. You're beloved. You're chosen. In light of that, put these things on. And I I have to, by the way, point this out now because it hopefully makes sense now and later. But he's going to call him to, to be loving, how love unites us. And notice he calls him what? Beloved or beloved. So here's what I want to point out with that. Um, he's calling them to love because he already is loved. He's like, you're beloved, now love. The idea is we, we love from this place of already being extremely loved. If God is like, now just go ahead and love people. And, but you're like, but my bank account's empty. I have no love to give. But the idea is, no, you are beloved, your bank account's full. So when God says love, you're like, okay, I can do it from this wealth of love I have in you. So when he says, it's like this bookend of, now, hey, as chosen ones, as agapeo, as the beloved of God, as the beloved of God, love. Because you are loved, you can love. You track with me? So he's like, this is your position. This is who you are. And now he's like, now put these things on. So let's get to number two. Now it's like the practical side. Now it's putting on Christ. So what does he say? Put on then, dot, dot, dot. We looked at the first part. You guys good? Track with me? Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Before we go on, it's like bearing with one another. Can we just sit in that? How many of you are like, ugh? This is scary. Compassionate hearts. When Jesus, they saw Jesus, it says what? He looked on them with compassion. Compassion hearts, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience. He's using the virtues of the day that were viewed as um, weak virtues. The Romans viewed humility as weakness, not strength. And he's using these virtues that were like, wait a second, you're asking me to be weak? You're asking me to be kind, humble? People will take advantage of those kind of people. People abuse those kind of people. He's put these things on. And we'll, we'll even see why, and we'll talk about how in a minute. But I want to point back, and I, I want you to notice this too. Um, in verse you know, 7 through like 10, he's actually telling them what to put off, and now here he's, he's telling them what to put on. And a lot of people obviously point out the similarities. There's five things he names here with you know, compassionate hearts, kindness. Humility. He's naming these things, but if you look back, we'll put the verse up here, verse 8, and we'll kind of show the two. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 8, remember? He goes, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. So he's like, put off those things. Now put on these things. And if you look, there's a very similar kind of layout. Put off like slander, like obscene talk. Put on kindness, meekness, that strength under control. So he's basically saying there's vices we all have, and then there's virtues. And I do love this idea. Everyone say vices. Say virtue. He's like, put off these things, put on these things. And verse 8 and verse 12 seem to be kind of like this compare and contrast. So if you look at verse 8 and you're like, oh, anger, yeah. Malice or slander, yeah, I'm in that one. Okay, he's like, all right, so identify that vice, identify that sin, identify that struggle, and then put on the counter one to it. So I love what he's doing. He's like, here's the thing you might be in. And this is really like, this goes back to everything he's been saying all along. He's like, hey, um, set your minds on things above. Don't be earthly. Have your mind on things above. Here's the earthly things. Here's the heavenly things. Then he'll go into it more in chapter three and four. Obviously, you want to read it in context. You want to see the big picture of these things. But I, uh, I love this because he's showing you, hey, let's compare and contrast here. What do you struggle with? What can you put up? If you don't mind going to, us, uh, to the next one of the slides, it's lay aside the vices and put on these virtues. So there's like a longer list, but here's what I want you to see really quick. If this is up here, I hope it's there. All right. If you would look at like just the lay aside the vices, fornication, bitterness, anxiousness, whatever, anxiety, unkind, anger, selfish, harsh, whatever. If you look at some of these things, I just want you to look on the left side first and you go, yeah, yeah, where, where's that thing for you? If you realize I'm harsh, I'm just harsh. Or if you look at it and say, no, 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 uh, there's the, the lust is strong right now. The thoughts, the impurity. Whatever it might be, and there's another slide too, you can show both, but the idea to me is like, look at the left-hand side, and you're like, this is the thing that is getting to me in the season, or this is the thing I'm struggling with. Then he's saying, put off these things, all of them, obviously, but put them off, put on the counter to them. And so I love the idea of like, okay, if it's, if it's like, the idea he uses in, in Greek is pornea. It's basically every sexual sin you can think of. It's just a drunk drawer word for anything and everything. It can include lust, it can include modern-day pornography, it can include, any, it can include anything. Sex outside of marriage. It can be inside of marriage with others. He uses different words, and he's like, all right, so in light of that, you put on what? He's basically put on, he's saying put on love instead of fornication. Instead of look down to selfish, put on goodness. Look down to unforgiving, be forgiving. He, he's basically like in this section, it's all of chapter three and chapter four, and he's naming like the earthly mindset versus the heavenly mindset. And you can kind of read and pull out some, like if you had to summarize what he's saying in these verses, you could say one, uh, you drive alone, we tried to come up with different things. Two, we could do this. But I remember one of the things was, hey, right now, like if this is moment that should be normal is becoming heavy, like what if we just prayed? And I remember those moments that were actually at one point in time, not a good conclusion, but we started to pray. It basically, what I saw happen was like, when the enemy expects you to be on the defensive and then you become offensive, 
I feel like um, he, there's less and less opportunity for you to keep being on the defensive. It's almost like, I don't want to put them in that position again because now they're going to turn into prayer and I'll be on the offensive. And I feel like that's what was happening. It was like, okay, this is hard. We struggle with this. We're going to pray. Hey, Lord, we, we invite you into this room right now, whatever. And it, it's weird when you start to pray and then you realize like, oh, wait, how come those scenarios, which seemed overwhelming at times, there's the quantity of so many. It's like not only shrinking, but now it's like we're actually finding victory and joy and life again. And I feel like that enemy's like, I don't want to put them in that situation because it just turns into the offensive. <laughs> and there's so many ways we could illustrate this. But he's like, put off these things, put on these things. Such a beautiful thing. It's not just like, how do I play defense? Play offense. Play offense. Okay? That's, he's like, put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on these things. I love what uh, Spurgeon says. He says, we'll go back a little bit. Um, he says, the rags of sin must come off if we put on the robe of Christ. There must be a taking away of the love of sin. There must be a renouncing of the practices and habits of sin, or else a man cannot be a Christian. It will be an idle attempt to try and wear religion as a sort of celestial overall <laughs> over the top of old sins. So it's not just put on, put off. So it's going back. It's like you have to put off and put on. It's both. It's the idea of remove and replace. You've probably heard that, but just everyone say remove and replace. Remove in place. If you just try to remove an idol, a new idol will take its place. So you can't just, okay, I'm, I'm trying to fight this sin, fight this sin, fight it. Remove and replace it with Jesus Christ in that position. Replace it with God on the throat. So remove and replace. If you just try to remove, something else will take that place. So remove and replace it with something better, with Jesus. And so it's this idea of like, all right, put off, put on. Wax on, wax off. I don't know why my brain's going there. But it's like, do that. Everyone's thinking, I feel like, right? But he, that's, he's like, you got to put it off, you got to put it on. So here's like, in summary, it's Romans 13, 14. This is Paul saying this over and over again. Romans 13, 14, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So this is what he's saying. Put on the Lord Jesus, be robed in his righteousness. Positionally, yes, but practically as well. Daily, we get dirty. Daily, we need a new outfit. Daily, put on Christ in this way. Is that making sense? It's going back to Ephesians 4, verse 22, what he says this way. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, put off your former self, put on your new self, the mind that's been renewed in Christ. So when I say this, again, I know this is one of those, Josiah, this is easier said than done. How do I put on the Lord Jesus? Sometimes I think we complicate it, or we want this, these steps. I love what Charles Swindoll said, or Chuck Swindoll. He said this. He says, remember, so think about this idea of put on the Lord Jesus. Remember, remember though, that you can't do this on your own. Everyone say amen. <laughs> experience isn't the best teacher. Guided experiences. That's good. You need the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, the clear example of Jesus Christ, and the constant forgiveness that comes from God. You also need the strength that comes from team members, fellow believers on the same journey, and coaches, wise, trusted pastors, counselors, or mentors to help you along the way. Yes, don't do it alone. You know, put on the Lord Jesus with each other. You know, say, hey, how's my outfit look today? Not good. You can actually clean that up. I, you need like, meaning like, where am, I, where am I lacking in my walk with the Lord? All right, hey, there's, there's, have people come around you and say, I love you, I care for you. There's some area that you need to, like, you know, work on right here. Put on the Lord Jesus. I'll say this. Like, let's keep it simple, too. Just pray to Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Worship Jesus. Bring Jesus into the moments. 
not just like, okay, Sundays or Bible study time. Bring him into those moments in your car and you're alone, you're frustrated, you're tired. Like, bring in Jesus in those moments. Put on the Lord Jesus. It's a time for, like, I realize, like, you know, my wife gets mad at me too sometimes. Like, I have, like, clothes I wear, my sweaty clothes I change into, my clothes I leave that in case I need them. I have a pile. Like, I might wear them again. She's like, what is this pile? I'm like, it's my wear again pile. She's like, you're not, you know, anyways, I think all of a sudden But, like, there's, in a day, even I change constantly. It's like, I need to. This is awful. This is sweaty. This is gross. The point is, like, hey, maybe you kind of get halfway through your day, and you're like, I thought I would be further along in my walk with the Lord than this, and this is still gross. Yeah, okay, well, take it off and put on. Don't pick, well, I guess I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll just keep sitting my brains out till tonight, since I already messed up. It's not how it works. Realize, okay, it's halfway through the day, and I have some dirty, disgusting clothes already. It's only been six hours. Put those off and put on Jesus again. This analogy, and here's why it's so profound to me. He's basically saying, and this might frustrate us, he's saying you have a choice in what you wear. He's saying you have a choice. He's like saying you have a choice in your identity, even. The language here, and I know I've said this a lot last week, but it, it, the language is so incredibly strong, which is put off these and put on these. These are identity kind of statements that he's claiming. And he's saying, um, there is obviously a clear, there's a clear battle for identity today. There's no doubt to me. I think the battle is like for people's identity. I am this. And fill in the, I, I, and I want to be known for this, or I want to be this, or call me this. There's a fight and battle for your identity. And Paul is acknowledging something that we don't like in today's world. He's saying, you can put that off and you can put on Christ. You can actually, you can actually be a part of those identity things in your life. You can put off and put on. Put on the Lord Jesus. Make no provision for the flesh. Wait, you're saying I have a choice in the matter? You do have a choice in, in your identity. You have a choice to say, I'm gonna be clothed in his righteousness. I'm gonna put on Jesus. You actually have a say in that. You have a say in what you wanna be known for or known as. And I beg you to put on Jesus and be hidden in him in such a way where your identity is only his identity. Where it's like, oh, where's so-and-so? Oh, they're in Christ. You don't even know. They're in new creation. The old things have passed. Everything we've been talking about, it's like, it's just, you're so hidden in him. Your identity is so clothed and wrapped in him. So when they see you, again, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's just everything Paul is saying in Colossians is just be like, be known for this. Be hidden in him. Put on him. So you and I have a say in what we put on on. I think this is incredibly important. You know, um, I guess I want to ask more of like, where are we at when it comes to this idea of this wardrobe change? Like, where are we at when it comes to putting on Jesus? Where are you like partially putting on Jesus? You're like, okay, I'll do the humility thing, but I won't do this purity thing. I'll do this part, but not that part. He's just put on the Lord, put every area, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, to put on Jesus in every way imaginable. I love how one author says, putting on Christ is a strong and vivid metaphor. It means more than put on the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, signifying rather, let Jesus Christ himself be, be the armor that you wear. Let him just be it. I'm just putting Jesus, I'm wearing you today. And where he's like, where are you at in that idea? So verse 13, we'll just keep going. He says, bearing with one another. And if someone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The reason why I want to spend some time in that thought is this. Um, we live in a very unforgiving world, in a very unforgiving culture. We live in a world where, like, you mess up, you say the wrong thing, things you did 20 years ago can haunt you to this day. It's very bizarre. Listen, I think the church is set up. It's like there's an alley-oop thrown to us. We sit to grab it and, like, dunk it. I don't know. Sorry, sport analogies. But it's like, it's like we live in this unforgiving world, and the church is like, we have something that you need. Like, oh, wait, people don't like you because of things you said or did years ago? Guess what? In Christ, you can have a whole new life. Like in Christ, the old things have passed away. You can forgive because you're forgiven. 
And I actually feel like we have like this unique opportunity to be like, I'm so discouraged. My friends don't talk to me because of this, something I said or did. And it's like, yo, we, we should be, and we have the most forgiving and welcoming community of people on earth. Like the cool thing to me is this. Um, I think for so long people have been like, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough for the church. I think we've been in like a, think about this, for like 20, 30 years, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, people were like, I'm not holy enough to be a Christian. Now the mindset's like, I'm not bad enough to be a Christian, those bigots. Like there's almost that thought. Like I'm not bad enough to be one of them. The crazy thing is we're trying to say, and then people, they try that lifestyle out for a while and they go realize, oh, wait a second. It's not just us versus them. Like I have it in me. I have sin in me. I, and now I don't, now I'm not welcomed by my friend group or now these people group and who's going to embrace me. And the church is going, hey, we've not left. You're welcome here. Like, and again, the, the whole idea of the church is that is like, hey, we are a hospital filled with sick people trying to follow the great physician. Like, we're just like, hey, we need help. And so the idea is like, man, I love that we have something the world needs, which is forgiveness. And sometimes the church is like, work for your forgiveness. No. Like, sometimes we almost like, sometimes treat people in a way where it's like, should I truly forgive you? It's like, freely you have been forgiven, freely forgive. Freely Jesus Christ paid it all. And so I love this thing of like, we get to be invited, we get to invite other people into this idea of like, man, you get to experience this put on the Lord Jesus, this new life, you're forgiven in him. It is the most beautiful thing that we're invited into. I know you guys might know this analogy or this story, but uh, in Luke chapter seven, Jesus, he goes over to a Pharisee's house and the Pharisees are asking him, talking to him questions. This woman who walks in, she's just called like the sinner. She basically walks in and she's weeping and crying and, and cleansing his feet and pouring out everything on his feet. And they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, are you gonna let this, this, gen, this woman, this sinful woman touch you? You're letting her touch you. Now you're becoming unclean. She's unclean. So, you know, sp you know, speaking according to their tradition, their beliefs, you're now unclean. And Jesus goes, let me ask you a question. Let me talk to you for a little bit. Since I've come into your house, you've not loved me or welcomed me or served me hospitably like this woman has in her few moments. And Jesus goes on to say this in Luke 7, verse 41. He says, let me ask you a question. And he brings up this wonderful parable. He goes, uh, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. And he says to the Pharisee, tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Verse 47, he eventually says, uh, I, I think the person isn't forgiven much. So Jesus goes, yes. And he says, therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. It's a very simple yet beautiful story. Jesus goes, do you not realize? This woman knows she's been forgiven of so much. She's forgiven of much, so she loves much. She's been loved so much, she's just gonna love much. You think you've been forgiven of little, that's why you're, you love little. And in reality, I think the, the breakthrough comes in when you realize I've been forgiven of much. The breakthrough comes in when it's not like that person's been forgiven much, I've only been forgiven. But like when you realize, no, I'm the filthy sinner, the sin goes deep in my heart, that there's a daily battle between my flesh and my spirit and sins in me. And so the idea is like the closer you get to God, I hope you realize the more of a sinner you are. So never be offended by that. Never it's like, it's like us versus them thing. It's like, no, no. I am the filthy sinner. My mind goes to places. I go, dear Lord, help me, forgive me, change me, redeem me. I thank you, God, that you have forgiven me of so much. The idea is like, if you realize you've been forgiven of much, you're going to love much. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, when you put on the Lord Jesus, we should be the most loving and forgiving community that exists. That does not mean we overlook sin or don't call people to repentance or say, no, forsake your lifestyle. There's the put off and the put on. But it means this. When someone says, hey, I'm a sinner in need of grace, we go, oh my gosh, we have the solution for you. His name is Jesus. And we have the best thing and we have what the world needs. And he's like, put on the Lord Jesus. Forgive one another. 
Like love in this way. Verse 14 says it that way. It says, above all of these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Like Paul could, the point of this is not to have an extensive list of virtues. The point of it is saying, do you not realize that all of this is summarized in this idea of love? Put on love. It binds everything else together. And so it goes back to this idea of you are beloved. You are the beloved. Therefore, love. Love holds everything together. Put on this new outfit. And it goes back to what Jesus says in John 13. In John 13, 34, you know this, but Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love also one another. By this, all will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Jesus says like three different ways. He's like, this is the new commandment, love. As I have loved you, you've received love, therefore love. This is how people will know you're a follower of Jesus. Are you a loving person? Not, and it, what to it? It, it you, it's easy to love those who love you. Do you love those who hate you? Do you love those who look down on you? Anyone can love those who love them. Do you love those that deep in your soul you feel that resentment and bearing? He goes, by this, by this love, this unique heavenly love, this is how people will know you that you're a disciple of Jesus, by that love. It's not an earthly love. Anyone can love those who love them. It's a heavenly love. It's a unique type of love. It's a love for the one who hates your guts. It's a love for the one who's treated you like scum. And you go, I love you. I'm going to love you the way Christ loves you. When Paul says beloved, hey, holy ones, chosen ones, beloved, love, he can call us to love because we are loved. I think those who realize they are the most loved are those who love the most. If you realize you are the most loved, the bank account on love towards you from God is infinite. God's not going to be like, yo, my bank account on love is I'm running low. I don't love you this week. No, it's like an infinite full bank account of love towards you. And so God's like, hey, because of my love for you, because of my forgiveness for you, forgive love. I've forgiven you so much. How could you not forgive others? I've loved you so much. How could you not love others? This is the whole, the whole book of 1 John is that. How can you say you love God whom you've not seen? and hate your brother whom you have seen. It's impossible. If you say you love God, you're going to love others. First John is we love because he first loved. We love others because we are so loved. By this all will know you're my disciples. So the reason of this is this. When I say put on Jesus, what am I saying? Put on love. Put on love. How? You have a choice. The language that's being used is you have a choice. You have a choice to respond to you like Josiah would or like Jesus would in me. I have a choice to respond to you out of bitterness, frustrate, like just pain, or to respond to you out of like, you know what, Jesus has forgiven me and loved me so much. Let me show this person love right now. So put on Jesus. You're positioned in Christ. Now put on Christ. This is what Paul's saying. He robed you in his righteousness, but daily you have to decide to put on Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. Amen? Put on Jesus. Put on love. This is the thing that binds everyone.